Uh, it's a great psalm, man. As I got looking into this thing, it, it helped me and it, it's a blessing. So I'm excited about preaching it to you tonight. I hope to be a help and a blessing to you. The Bible says in Psalm 63, uh, first of all, as I've showed you before, uh, we believe even the titles are inspired. And I've taken heat for that kind of stuff before and believe in the chapter and verse markings, but that's okay. Uh, people just don't get it. That's all. And so I, I, I get it. And you get it, and I proved to you at the beginning of Psalms that the titles are inspired because when you go to the other passages and you see a passage that's referring back to some of the Psalms right in the text in the canon of the Scripture, they're quoting the title to the Psalms. So I believe the titles are inspired. And the Bible says in Psalm 63, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because of thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live, I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips." When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followed hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God, everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Uh, Derek Morse, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please? Amen. Notice by the title, we know one thing for sure. David is writing Psalm chapter 63 during a bad time in his life. He's writing it from the wilderness of Judah. And you know what he was doing when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He was running for his life. Uh, Saul's hunting him down. So this is one of those earlier Psalms Dave's writing as a 20-something-year-old man in a bad position. I got to thinking about that thing and looking into the wilderness of Judah and trying to learn a little bit about it. And it got me thinking about decisions we make in the wilderness. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is decisions in the wilderness. If you think about it for a little while, you'll remember as you go through the Bible and start looking up wilderness journeys and the different wildernesses in the Bible and all that. There's all kinds of stuff there. We just don't have time for all that. But, but there's a ton of learning you can get from wildernesses in the Bible. Long and short of it is this, if you think about Israel, as they were in the wilderness, they made a lot of different decisions during their time in the wilderness wanderings. The decisions that they made in the wilderness impacted their future. Because of making bad decisions in the, in the problematic wilderness, because that is what the wilderness represents throughout your Bible, it's a problematic time of your life. It's a time of uh, a lack of physical satisfaction, a lack of answers to the questions, a lack of needs supplied. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of fears in the wilderness. 
Uh, it's one thing to say, oh, I could go out there and just forget the world and live off the land and all that kind of stuff. It's a whole other thing to actually survive living off the land. It's not easy to hunt your food. Uh, the prey doesn't want to die. You understand what I'm saying? They're not like jumping on your bow and arrow and jumping in front of your gun. Uh, and in this day, he's going to have to hunt stuff with bow and arrow. Uh, it's a lot harder to survive out there. In the, I mean, he's not getting 3,000 calories a day. Do you understand that? Water isn't just everywhere. Actually, in the wilderness of Judah, there's a very short period of time throughout the year where there's really any water at all. And when the water comes, it comes, but it's only for a few weeks throughout the year. The vast majority of the year, it is dry and there's very little rainfall. He is literally starving while he's in this wilderness. He is literally, genuinely, and truly dehydrated. He is struggling to stay alive. You understand what I'm saying? You got to get the honest perspective of this stuff. When you read your Bible, you got to stop for a minute and you got to think about what the man's going with. You got to meditate on the Word of God and meditate on His precepts because if you don't, you miss so much of what the Bible is trying to say to you. David is in a very bad spot. David is weak. David's losing weight. He's emaciated. I would be willing to bet you anything he's emaciated. His weight is dropping. His dehydration is setting in so much so that it's affecting his skin. Look at verse number one. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He's looking at his flesh and he's saying, man, it's dry here. Have you ever been like seriously dehydrated? I have been. I've been so dehydrated that when I go to do anything, like, I, I mean, like, do anything, like, from working out too much and, and, you know, it's hot outside and I'm already a sweater and then you overdo it. And I've stood here in the pulpit more than once on a Wednesday night after an especially hard day training back in the day, which wasn't that long ago, but it sure feels like it was, you know. And man, I'm not kidding you, like, my skin while I'm preaching. I start getting worked up and start raising my voice and my temperature starts going up and the sweat starts coming. My skin start itching so bad, like I can't even explain it. Like my legs just like, you just want to lose your, lose your mind, just itching all over until I figured out what it was. I thought I had it. I, I looked it up. There's allergies to too much exercise that can cause these issues and all this stuff. I figured out it was actually dehydration. No matter how much I was drinking, I wasn't keeping up with it. That's a miserable thing to be dehydrated. That's where David's at in the wilderness. Well, when you're in that situation and there's that much pressure on you and it's all going that bad and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're scared and you're frustrated and you're trying to make it, you can make some really stupid decisions. In the pressure of that moment, you can make some dumb decisions that impact your future in a very, very negative way and stay with you forever. Israel wound up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness because of the decisions they made in the wilderness. When they were in the wilderness, they didn't want to be in the wilderness. And as a result of rebelling against the wilderness that God put them in, as a result of responding wrong and making bad decisions at that time, God said, fine, since you're not learning your lesson, you get to stay in that wilderness and you can keep on wandering. Can you imagine that? Do you know we all wind up in wildernesses? You are not going to avoid it. You know how I know you're not? Your Savior didn't. Now you think about it, when the Spirit of God swooped him up and dropped him off, where did he drop him off at early on in the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 4? He dropped him off in the wilderness. 
the Spirit of God led the Son of God into the wilderness. Our response usually is when we're in the wilderness, well, how could this happen? Why is this happening? It's got to be my fault. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's the devil. It's this. It's that. The Spirit of God said, I know what Jesus Christ needs in order to save Mike Reagan's soul in a couple thousand years, and I'm going to take my son, and I'm going to drop him off in the wilderness, and there in the wilderness, Jesus Christ made a decision. If you stop and notice the story, it says that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was dehydrated. He was hungry. He was losing weight. He was shredding the pounds, man. He was absolutely into the zone that is a supernatural fast because he didn't eat and he didn't drink for 40 days and 40 nights. That is a supernatural fast. You can't survive that way unless God allows it. Jesus Christ was with his physically weakest point, maybe outside of Calvary, physically in all of his life in that point. And then what shows up? The devil. The devil shows up in the wilderness at his weakest point and tries to get him to make a decision. And he presents to him different choices to make decisions. It's the decisions you make in the wilderness that determine where you're going to go. I've thought about and prayed about this illustration and I, I want to use it, but I want to use it very carefully and, and kindly because I, I can promise you, I can assure you, there's really, at this point, there's really no animosity or bitterness coming from this. What, what I've figured out is that these things that happen that I'm going to tell you about in just a second, that they happen to everybody. They happen to everybody in the ministry. So it's not like I feel like, oh, this was so horrible. It's just kind of part of being in the ministry. <laughs> it's going to happen to the other guys sooner or later, right? So here's what I'm saying. I will never forget one of the lowest points for me and my wife was when we were in a wilderness I mean, it was, it, was, it was a scary time. We had had a, a tremendous amount of under the surface. It was early days of the ministry. Under the surface, there was a tremendous amount of, uh, I guess we can say, power struggle. And now listen, what I'm fixing to tell you isn't pointed at anybody in particular because it was coming from multiple different angles. Uh, I'm, I'm talking like multiple different angles. It's just how the devil works. It's just human nature. It's actually some good people that are probably doing great today. But at that point, the devil was trying to stir the pot. It was a power struggle going on in our church. Some particular older ladies, they thought that they were going to take my wife under their, under her, their wing and they were going to kind of mentor her and let her know how it needs to be done. And, and you know, even getting into our personal business, <laughs> not business between me and my wife necessarily, but my extended family, like the problems that were there were going on 20 years before I even met my wife and somebody else's silly little opinion because she thought she knew what she was talking about. She was here to mother my wife, pastor my wife, trying to, you know, get her opinions in there. And I've mentioned before the comment, you know, you're going to ruin his church. That kind of stuff happening. It was a power struggle. It was like, it was like, it was really a wilderness because we have a tiny little church. We're just trying to get the thing off the ground and there's all this stuff going on all the time, all this drama going on all the time. While at the same time, there were some men in the church that had particular things they wanted to see out of this church. And they understood and knew my standard on some things and where I was coming from. And it was like, yeah, but I think we should. I mean, I heard this comment from more than one person in the church in that early day. You know what we need? You're preaching. You, you, you know, you're a good preacher and all this kind of stuff. They butter you up and say a bunch of stuff to try to think it's going to get, you know, you're going to believe what they're saying. It's great when people compliment you. It's really bad when you believe them. 
it's the butter up before they chew you to death, right? Oh, you're a great preacher. What we need is your preaching and our music. You don't know nothing about music. You're not a musician. And see, I smelled a rat. And it wasn't just one person. I'm not attacking anybody. It wasn't just one person. That same attack came from multiple different angles. I'm like, you have no idea. Joker over there just said the same thing to me. Well, we need our music and your... And there's two different sections of people that are fighting for and competing for the same position to head up the music, to be the star of the music program, to say, listen, if you just kind of back off and let us run this part of the church, let us oversee this part of the church, then we are going to explode. We're going to boom. I mean, sort of like a little bit of a hodgepodge between the contemporary movement and the King James Bible movement. We're going to stand with the King James Bible. We're going to stand for that good preaching, but we really would like to bring in this other kind of music, and we'd really like to see you kind of toning down the suit thing a little bit. We'd really like to see you kind of back. Preacher, what's wrong with you wearing a little necklace? You know, you'd look cute with a necklace on. What's wrong with a little bracelet, preacher? You'd look cute with a bracelet on. You know, that kind of stuff. Just like in your face. And that power struggle is starting, right? And I'm telling you, I knew what God wanted me to do. I knew what direction God had sent this church and this preacher. There was no question in my mind what God expected from me. And it wasn't going to happen. And in the middle of all this stuff going on, the pressure and the stress going on, my wife gets, I'm talking deathly ill. She had a, a, a kidney infection and it spread to her blood. She's pregnant with Ava, and she's laying in the hospital septic, and I, I could have lost them both. They actually came and told me I was probably going to have to make a decision. You know what I remember Grace saying? She's looking just beat white. I can, I'll never forget, just, just, just white. I mean, white as the pages on your Bible. And she'd say, honey, why would God do this? They're all going to think God's getting me out of the way so I don't ruin your ministry. Man, I don't know that I've ever felt sicker, more discouraged, more frustrated when I knew I was taking the right stand. I knew God had given me a woman who loved me and was backing me and had more wisdom and common sense in her pinky finger at 25 years old than her critics had in their whole body. And more heart. And I'm talking heart. When I mean heart. You know what I mean when I say heart? I'm talking heart, man. Heart to do what's right. Heart to go through it. Heart and willingness to suffer for the Lord and to follow her husband anywhere God sent me and to go without. I'm talking heart, man. And I, you know what I didn't have? I didn't have an answer. We were in a wilderness. And it didn't make sense. And I am telling you, the bitterness started wanting to set in. Just the frustration and the anger and the bitterness and the resentment. And I remember telling her, honey, I don't know and I can't explain it. I had to make a choice to just throw up my hands and say, I don't care what they think. We're going to do what's right no matter what. And let them say what they want to say. Can you imagine being in David's shoes? He's emaciated. He's wasting away. He feels like he's dying. And think about all of his peers. Are you hearing me? Young people especially. All of his peers are getting promoted. They're getting houses. They're getting lands. What, didn't Saul tell him that? Yeah. 
Don't you remember when he showed up there and, and, and the whole deal with, don't you all feel sorry for me? What's the son of David going to give you houses and lands and promotions and money and all the rest of the stuff that I can give you? So David's peers, the other guys that David knew when he killed Goliath, when he was coming up through the ranks, when he was killing his, his ten thousands and saw his thousands and all that David had been going through and all that had been going on, all the other guys that knew David and knew the choices that David had been making and were at one point looking up. He was the most popular kid among them. Now all of a sudden he's the reject and all these other guys are going on. They're getting to the next level. They're getting promoted while David's getting the slats knocked out from underneath him. He's getting kicked back down in the mud again. He's getting stomped on while he's down and he's in a miserable spot and looking saying, God, why are you doing this to me? I look like the stinking devil and all these guys are going on and doing great. Why is this happening? And what I see when I look at this text is a man in a mess but he's making some good decisions. I want to encourage you tonight that you're going to have to make some good decisions. Do you know what worship is? It has to do with sacrifice. Right? All the way through your Bible, when somebody worships, they sacrifice. You are going to sacrifice to something. Do you understand that? No matter what in your life, you can worship yourself, you can worship your career, you can worship anything you want to worship, whatever you worship, and everybody worships something because everybody sacrifices to something. Are you following me? I'm a hedonist. You're sacrificing to pleasure. You can be a hedonist all you want. I have no rules, no parameters. I get to do anything I want. If it feels good, do it. I'm my own God. I'm my own man. I live life for me. You are sacrificing. Listen, your emotions, your soul, your physical health, your future, you are destroying yourself, destroying your body, destroying your character. You're sacrificing to the God of pleasure. Everybody worships something. Everybody. And nobody escapes it. So you got to choose what you're going to worship. And for me, I'm going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that means when it starts to cost me something, I get to make a decision. And that worship, that sacrifice comes when you're in a wilderness. God led Jesus into that wilderness, right? And Jesus made good decisions. God led Israel into the wilderness. They made bad decisions. They sacrificed to what? To their own will to their own desires, and they paid the price for it. They worshiped themselves. How'd that work out for them? But how did David's sacrifice work out for him? He made a decision while he's in the wilderness that he's going to seek God. Look at verse 1. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Let me just stop real quick and say early in life. Now, now hang on, because some of you didn't get in early in life, just, so just hang on. There's some here that have a chance to get in early. The wisest thing you can do, I, I'm not trying to be mean to you, I know I use some pretty harsh language sometimes, and, and I, I promise you it's not coming from an angry spirit or a mean heart, but you are an idiot, you are a fool, if you don't early begin to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as a child, you can seek God's face. And if you'll seek God's face as a child, God Almighty will see that sacrifice. He'll recognize and notice that you're looking for him. And he will be found of you if you're looking for God. I don't care how young you are. You need to be seeking God early. The earlier in life you start seeking God, the better off you're going to be. If you don't seek God now, you kids ought to be praying. I want you to pray for me. 
I, I have a personal request. Please pray for me. All you kids, I think God hears and listens to kids. I want you to pray for your preacher. I want you to pray God gives me good messages that'll help you. I want you to pray God gives me good messages that'll help your parents. I want you to pray for my daughter. I want you to pray for my wife, all my daughters, but specifically Sophia. I want you kids praying because I believe God hears you. I think the earlier in your life you seek God, the better off you're going to be. He said, early will I seek thee. Now listen, early in your day as well. Don't, don't give me this, I'm going to pray later. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't, uh, please don't give me that. That You, you support me, I, I don't, if you don't know, you support me full time so that I can do, main thing I do is, is ministry of the word and prayer, studying my Bible and praying. It's supposed to be the main thing I'm doing. You know what the hardest thing for me to do is? Pray. If I put it off, do you know what happens by the time the day gets rolling? Everything in the world happens. That's what happens. To keep me from praying. You got to make it a priority in your life that you're going to put God first. You're going to seek Him. You should do your best to make Him the first part of your day. I'm not saying you got to have an hour long devotional time. I'm not saying you got to have a 30 minute devotional time. I don't know your schedule. I'm saying He ought to be a top priority. And first thing when you're out of bed in the morning, you ought to at least spend a minute or two talking to God. You ought to at least get some Bible in your eyeballs before you get everything else in your eyeballs. You got your cotton picking phone in your face all the time and the television and all the you ought to get God in your eyes early will I seek thee especially if you're in a wilderness because in that time of your life you're going to make decisions that are going to impact the future and that's when the devil shows up to tempt because he knows I got him he's weak he's wore out he's exhausted he's dehydrated he's hungry I'm getting him now you think he's stupid I don't think he's stupid. <laughs> you better watch it. He says, early will I seek thee. He ought to be a priority in our life. Notice he doesn't just seek him early. He seeks him eagerly. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. I mentioned it to you recently about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much. You know what we miss on that? Effectual, that would be an effective prayer. Fervent. You know what we're supposed to be? We're instructed in the Pauline epistles to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Do you know what our prayers typically do? I told the Lord recently, man, I'm not even sure if I'm praying half the time. I literally don't know what I'm doing here. I mean, I'm trying, but God, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm getting this right or not. You know what I realized? I realized a lot of times I just am kind of like praying. There's no passion there. Do you know it's one thing to tell your wife, I love you. I love you. I love you. It's a whole other thing when she knows he's in love with me. When there's a, a fervency there. You're my world. I love you so much, I can't imagine life without you. A fervency. How come we lose our fervor for God? David's in the middle of a wilderness and God's not even treating him fair from a human perspective. And he's saying, God, what I want. He's looking at his dehydrated state and he's going, yeah, but as long as my soul is good. 
He's looking at his hungry state. He's, he's seeing how emaciated he is. He can see all the ribs. He's wasting away to nothing. The bones are starting to pop out. He, man, I'm really losing a lot of weight. I'm just shredding the pounds. But man, you know what? I, I, as long as I got God, as long as I'm walking with God, as long as my soul is full, he's seeking the Lord. He's desiring God. If you don't go after him, if you don't seek him, if you don't want him, if you don't long for him, you'll wonder you're miserable and making bad decisions. You've got to make a purposeful, concerted effort to walk with God. It doesn't just happen naturally. I mean, come on, you've been married in more than two years? <laughs> Even in the best of marriages, it takes a tremendous amount of work. You've got to go out of your way. And you think you don't have to go out of your way for God? Notice in verse number two, to see thy power and thy glory, look at it, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. All these Bible correctors, man, they're so stupid. They start thinking like, you know, they need to change this up. David did see the Lord. We know he saw the angel of the Lord at, the, at, the, at, the, at that judgment where he came through and he saw the angel of the Lord and stopped and made intercession there for Israel. Remember that? Well, what he's telling us here is that at another time he saw the Lord in the sanctuary. David wasn't just a king. He was a prophet, too. You know what else David was? He was a priest. David was the second best type in your Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. The best type is Joseph. The second greatest type in your Bible is King David. He is a prophet like Jesus, a priest like Jesus, and a king like Jesus. He saw the Lord. Look at verse number 8. My soul followed, followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Do you see how he's seeking God? You know what he's saying? God, I've seen you work before. I've seen what you've done before. I know who you are, and because of what you have done for me, I'm going after you today. I'm not stopping today. I'm seeking you today. I'm going to wrestle with this angel, and I'm not letting you go, God, until you bless me. I'm getting a hold of you, God. I want to see you again. I've seen it before. I'm thankful for what I've seen before. I'm thankful for what you've done before, but what you've done before has been so good. I want you to do more now. I'm seeking you, God. I need you to do something. I want to see your face. I just started my Bible over again this morning. You know, I stopped for a minute. You know, because I get excited when I finish my Bible and I look at how long it took me and I write it down and I'm like, okay, we're going to go for it again. <laughs> and I stopped and I said, Lord, this time I want to see stuff I've never seen. I want this to be fresh. I want this to be real. I really want to get something out of this. I really do, I really do want to see him. Do you want to know why? Because of my past experiences. I've seen the Lord do some stuff before. You know what's really cool about walking with the Lord for a while and seeing God do things? Once God's handled what you think is perfect storms coming from multiple directions in a small little church, <laughs> and you think it's going to be over. I mean, I'm talking like irritable bowel. Not trying to be gross. I'm just talking about a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and a lot of nerves. I'm talking about sleepless nights where you're dead tired and you lay down and you can't sleep. I'm talking about like real pressure, real stress, real like good night, man. All I got is this little church here. I've cut every other, burned every other bridge, cut every other tie. And uh, what am I going to do now? Because the pressure is on me from multiple angles to go a direction I know God told me not to go. And it's getting ugly. And I don't even know if my wife's going to be alive in a couple days. 
or if my baby's going to be born deaf because of how strong the antibiotics are on, and they told us she'd probably be born with hearing problems, or we could look for that because it often happens. My goodness, God, really? Hey, you want to know what all that stuff is? It's all ancient history, and none of it was really that big of a deal. It just felt like a big deal to me. But it really wasn't. Look, at we're here. We're just talking in the lobby with the deacons. Come on, big guy. He's all like. I just got to keep being nice to him because he keeps getting bigger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we were talking in the lobby about, you know, the church, me and Rob and, and Dave. And Dave was like, man, you know, just to see where God's brought us. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? I could have never imagined. I want to see, you know what? I'm thankful for how far God's brought us and what he's done for us. But you want to know something? I'm seeking him. Because a lot of these kids weren't even born yet. They haven't seen anything. They just know when they come to church and sit down and this is church for them. I want them to say, I want them to say hey, you remember back when we started youth conference? Remember when we started going to camp? Remember when we just had a few kids in youth group? Remember when we started the youth choir? Remember when we did that little addition? We thought that was such a big deal. You remember when, I want to see God do some stuff, don't you? Hey, I want to see some more people getting saved. We're starting to see God move with some answers to prayer (laughs) that we didn't really think would ever happen. I want to see some more stuff happen, don't you? Well, you know, we gotta be, we got to be putting God first. We've got to be seeking God. We've got to make sure that in the times of our life when we're ready to quit because we're dried up and exhausted that we don't make a stupid decision in that moment, but we seek Him instead. David made good decisions at this time in his life. The best decision he made was to start seeking God. Number two, look at what he's doing. He's singing in the middle of the wilderness. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Look down at verse number 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. You know what he's doing? He's out there in the wilderness and he's writing a psalm. He's singing this thing to God. I wonder about Christians that don't like singing. I'm not making an accusation here. I'm not kicking anybody in the face. I'm saying when I see a Christian that doesn't like singing, that, you know, uh, the singing doesn't matter. I just get there in time for the preaching. That's what one guy told me one time. I mean, we're riding together to a meeting, and he's purposefully dragging his feet, pulls into White Castle, and I'm like, man, we're going to be late. Who cares? I don't care about the singing. I just want the preaching. Hey, man. Something's wrong with you if you ain't got a song in your heart. You understand that? You know what the Bible says in Ephesians 5? That you're not to be drunk with wine where it is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know that's part of being filled with the Spirit of God is singing? The singing don't trump the preaching. The singing ain't there to move your emotions, to try to froth up the meeting and get you excited so you all start running around and we can say we had a great meeting. I wonder about that too. When there's more response to the music than there is to the preaching, something's off balance. That's the generation you live in. It's 45 minutes to an hour of singing and hand-waving and hand-clapping and praising and then this little ditty of a message where everybody's falling asleep. But David's over here in the wilderness and he's saying, you know what? I got a loving, kind God. 
In the middle of his problems, he's recognizing and he just has to put his faith in. He just has to accept the doctrinal fact that God is loving and kind and I'm thankful for a God full of loving kindness. I don't know what all is going on. It's Saul. It's Lucifer. It's the wicked men of the world. I don't know what it is, but God loves me and knows where I'm at. So I'm going to praise him where I'm at. And that's a decision he had to make in the wilderness. I think that that singing, remember when they play for Saul and the demon would leave him? Remember that? I think that singing has a way of running the bitterness out of you. <laughs> I think that singing some praises to God has a way of cleaning up that nasty spirit when it starts to build in. You know, I get that way. I know you probably don't believe that, but I can get that way. I can get real bad that way, like, like real, real bad. <laughs> I don't want to explain it to you. <laughs> I mean, real bad. Just like, don't even look at me, man. I don't want to talk to no. When I'm bad off, I don't want to talk to nobody. I'm not running around trying to put stuff in people's heads. I don't care. Like, you're my best friend in the world. Good. Leave me alone. Why? I'm going to say a bunch of dumb stuff right now, and I really don't even want to hear what you have to say right now, right? Sir. You know what I've noticed? When I go, you know what? I ain't right. My, my spirit's off. My attitude's off. I'm rotten right now. I'm nasty right now. When I put on some good music that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and starts talking about his grace and his mercy and his loving kindness, that thing just, I'm like, man, Lord, I don't know if I'm all over here or what. You just run something off. Look at me however you want. You, maybe you need to run some stuff off a little more often too. Amen. Something runs off, man. I mean, it changes my spirit. It changes my mind. It changes my heart. you got to make a decision when you're in the wilderness that you're going to sing to the Lord. You start turning on all that stuff the world has to offer, and it's going to drag you farther down that hole. It's going to drive you away from God. It's going to put the wrong stuff in your mind, the wrong stuff in your heart. Listen, turn on some good music that glorifies Jesus Christ and focuses on His grace and focuses on His purity and focuses on His goodness and His loving kindness. And I'm telling you, it'll help you, and God will see that decision in the wilderness and God will honor that thing no wonder David didn't stay in a wilderness his whole life he starts singing of God's loving kindness notice in verse number 4 he says I'll lift up my hands in thy name you know what he's doing he's exalting the name of Jesus Christ hey man I'm here to tell you tonight that's a name that you can exalt that's a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a name that means something to God. You want to know something? My name don't mean that much. I know a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. I know that. And I care about my testimony. I mean, I do. And I care about the testimony of our church. I do. But I'm telling you, the long and short of it is a man's name and a man's reputation don't mean much. If you build an altar of worship, to your name and your reputation, it was going to, you're going to have to sacrifice something at that altar. You don't want that sacrifice. You know where my knee bows? It's at the name of Jesus Christ, not at the name of Mike Reagan. That's a name worth lifting your hands up to. Look at verse number 7. Here's something else I can sing about. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. You want to know something? God has been my help. I am telling you right now, God has been my help. I went through a phase of my life, I was so backslidden, I can't even explain to you how backslidden I was for six years. And there were certain things I wanted to happen. One of them was I wanted my mom and dad to just get a divorce. 
because I had made up my mind that if they did, I was done and that was my excuse. Done with God, done with the Bible, and I was just going to live whatever life I wanted to live and I knew what life I wanted to live. You know, the divorce didn't happen until after I was married. And I met her at Bible school. That wasn't fair to her. And I remember, I remember putting Anna to bed at six months old, putting her in that crib, and saying, thanks, it's your stinking fault, kid. She looked at me, big old chubby cheeks, man. She was always happy, you know. And yeah, it's your fault. And you know what I was saying? She had no idea what I was saying. I was saying, I can't quit on God because now I've got a little girl here and she needs a daddy that serves Jesus Christ and I married her mama and I met her mama in Bible college and I owe it to her. And Hey, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is I'm standing here tonight because God Almighty is my help. He held that thing. I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart he held that thing off. It was long overdue. From a human perspective, he held that thing off and he put me in a position where he made my decision tough. <laughs> You're mad, mad at the kid, mad at a six month old little blue eyed, blonde haired little girl. <laughs> and I was mad at her. It's your fault, kid. <laughs> well, thank you, Lord, for helping me. Because I know this much I can't stand without Jesus Christ. I know the wildernesses of this life come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and they're more than you can handle. But when you're in them, you better start singing because God has helped you and I'm telling you something else about God. If you make the right decisions and you stay with Him, He will help you again. I love that about Him. Folks, you can count on Jesus Christ. He's satisfying. Look at verses 5 and 6. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. You know what God does? He satisfies. He said, my soul shall be satisfied. I'm kind of struggling right now, but I remember back there with the lion and the bear and the sheep running around when I was young as a little boy, And early in life, I sought him, and he was there. Now, at this point in life, it's getting really ugly, but I know something about God. I might be dried up now, but because of who he is, I'm going to be satisfied. I want to stay with this life, because this life of serving Jesus Christ and following Almighty God is a great life. And he's helped me before, and he'll help me again. And he's filled me up before, and he'll fill me up again. So right now, I'm making a decision that I ain't going nowhere. Because he satisfies. I'm telling you something about alcohol. It don't satisfy. Drugs, it don't satisfy. Immorality, it won't satisfy. It don't satisfy. Finding Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect, it ain't going to satisfy. But Jesus Christ, he'll satisfy you. He'll fill you up. Look at verse number 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. You know what I, you know what I like? i got to admit something to you. You're not going to believe this. I like sleep. Sleep is stinking awesome. Yes, sir. 
When you lay down and like it's one of those like if you really want to knock me out, this is crazy. This never happened to me till I was somewhere around forty, give or take. TV. I, I used to like because I did. I wasn't raised with the TV. We didn't have a TV in our house, so I became a TV addict. I like, was afraid I was going to miss something, you know. And then I got a certain age, and I was like, I know, like for whatever reason, I know how to knock myself out. Turn the TV on. You can ask my kids. If it's 8 o'clock at night and they turn the TV on, I'm like, Dad's sleeping. I hear him. That's what wakes me up. Look, he's sleeping, guys. You know, I'm like, oh, gosh. I cannot keep my eyes open. You know what's an awesome feeling? It's an awesome feeling to lay down and just like, I cannot keep my eyes open. And just let it go. And wake up six, seven, eight, nine hours later. You know what happens when you sleep? Your brain repairs. Your brain refreshes. My wife's got this amazing thing. She can go to bed with a massive math problem on her mind. Like, I don't know how I'm going to work this out for these people. And she's all stressed. I'm like, just sleep on it, honey. You'll be fine. She'll wake up in the morning. I got it! Like, I mean, like, her brain solves mathematical equations while she's sleeping. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing. It really does work. Do you realize that sleep refreshes your brain? You need to try to sleep. Figure out if you're not sleeping, like, why I'm not sleeping. and Don't drug yourself, but solve the problem because you need it. But you know what David's saying? He's saying, I'm so jammed up right now, God, I can't sleep. But you're better. You're better. Verse 6, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. If you have insomnia, get out of your bed Get on your face and get real serious, praying real fervently and real aggressively. Get lost in your prayer. Try, try it sometime. Try getting lost in your prayer time and you will wake up with drool on the carpet and the imprints in the side of your face and you'll crawl back in bed. Hope it'll work for you. Just works for me. <laughs> This was already in the notes before our conversation in the lobby, brother, okay? (laughs) I've had a lot of it. I've had a lot of times where I wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep, and I get frustrated because I love to sleep. I can't stand that. I hate that insomnia. But you know, in Song of Solomon, I think it's chapter number five, she made a big mistake when he knocked on the door and she said, I have to put off my shoes, how should I put them on? My feet you know, are clean, all that kind of thing. And she made the debate about whether or not to get up. Then she wound up getting up and when she went to the door, he was gone. So maybe sometimes when he wakes you up, you need to get serious. You need to start seeking him. You need to get after him because it's a great opportunity to make a decision in a wilderness that can change the course of your life. David's saying, God, you're better to me than sleep. Look at verses 9 through 11 and we're done. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Notice in verse 11 he says, Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. You know, a decision you need to make in the wilderness is that you're going to swear by God. Now, what I'm not talking about is this, you know, oh my God. There's two different kinds of swearing by God. 
You know what I won't put up with? I won't put up with somebody taking God's name in vain. I don't like that stuff, man. I, it drives me up a wall, taking Jesus Christ's name in vain or God's name in vain. You, get, you, you, know, you, you, you correct somebody on that, even a saved person on that. You know, hey, boy, don't talk like that. This, we don't talk like that around here. This youth, this youth conference, we don't use that kind of language. You can use whatever language you want when you go home, but you're not doing it here. <gasps> hey, man, that ain't rocket science. You don't, you don't be swearing. You don't be taking God's name in vain. You don't hang out with people that do. Amen. And when you hear them, tell them. You can't tell them here? Where are you going to tell them? It's not okay. You know, why, you know why they do that? They're showing you what's in their soul. You better avoid them. You better get away from them. It's the wrong kind of friend. Not talking about that kind of swearing. But that's your decision. You can make that decision if you want. And you'll live with the results of it. I'm not swearing by God and taking his name in vain. I'm afraid of him. He's been my help. He's been my friend. He's been my guide. He's been my counselor. I need him. I'm not taking his name lightly. And the exclamation that I make when something happens is not, oh my. Come on, man. He says, I'm swearing by that name. In other words, he's making a promise. He's making an oath. He's standing by God. And he says, everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. You know what I'm doing? I'm making a commitment to God. Where do you want to go? Where do you want your wilderness to take you? I've met a lot of Christians that stay in their wilderness. I don't want to stay in my wilderness, man. I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging. I'm not saying I'll do this and I do that and I'm swearing I'll never quit on God. I've preached against that, right? You better not. You better be real careful about I'll never quit on God. I'll never. You just haven't had to digest some things some other people have had to digest. You better be super careful talking like that. But I will say this. I'm making a commitment and I've made a commitment. And even when things aren't going my way, I want to continue to be committed to swear by that name because what else do I have? Where else can I go? Saul ain't going to get me out of the wilderness. I ain't got the strength left because I'm dehydrated, dried up, and done. Where else am I going to go? I want to swear by that name. And if you'll make those decisions in your wilderness to seek God, to sing unto his name, to be satisfied by who he is, and remember, he will satisfy, and to swear by him, then maybe he'll do with you what he did with David and eventually bring you out of that wilderness and he puts him on a throne in Hebron, and then from that to Jerusalem because of the decisions he made in his wilderness. Now that's a lot of learning for us tonight because all of us, like I said at the beginning, wind up in wildernesses sooner or later. And you get through one wilderness, guess what's going to happen? Before long, you'll have another one. That's life in a sinful world. So this lesson is not a lesson you get for now and you get over. It's a lesson you grab a hold of and you keep the rest of your life because the day will come when we'll cross over that Jordan and we won't have to keep with this struggle anymore. You won't be seeking him, you'll be seeing him. <laughs> and what a day that'll be. But between now and then, this chapter ought to help you when you're in your wildernesses. All right, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed tonight. No invitation and uh, Lord willing, see you back here on Sunday morning.